0: Oh, hello, Stephen Brandt
2: of the Yellow Card Podcast. Wow, I just completely blanked you at what the, the startup is for us. Anyway, you're listening to the Global Scarves Yellow Carded Podcast. I'm Stephen Brandt with Chris Gluck. Um, today we're going to have an interesting show. We're, we're ending the year. I'm still thinking of doing a Christmas show, so we might have fun in a couple of weeks when I'm home with my father. Um, today we're doing, um, we're having a, Pretty long discussion with um, Tim. on Seven AM kickoff. It's a it's an Arsenal blog, which is not something we've really talked about on the three years I've been on this show. But we're going to talk we're going to talk that analytics. Just a lot of fun. He's cut, Tim's coming up pretty soon, and I'm going to ask him. He his blog talked, his blog reviewed the um, Amy Warren's book, and I, I'm kind of interested in that book. It's about the Invincibles, and now that now that Chelsea's lost a game and I, I know our good friend Ryan Sealock is exceedingly happy. I mean, I, I've been getting tweets from him. I've been um, getting messages from him all weekend about this. So, anyway, ah, and I see Tim's on. Um, Chris, do you actually want to introduce this guy because you're the one that brought me brought him to my attention?
1: Yeah, sure. And and Tim, you got to jump in here if I do a bad hatchet job, but uh Tim and I kind of met through just our I guess maybe our passion for statistics or or love for analysis. I'm not too sure what's the best way to say it, but uh and and as you do when you talk with people who have the same passion, you kind of build a relationship or rapport. So, uh Tim and I had a long chat the other day. Uh and I thought, you know, let's have uh let's have Tim on see if we can talk the Arsenal. Um and Talk uh, a little bit of MLS soccer if if, uh, if time permits, especially with uh, Landon Donovan having his his going away party. So, um, and, and Tim's got a, a huge following on Twitter, and he writes some superb articles about the Arsenal. So, Tim, how's that?
0: That was that was fantastic. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> sure. how, are, how are you guys?
1: <laughs> oh, Not oh, bad. one I, other I thing actually... I failed to mention. Uh, Tim's a West Coaster as well. He lives probably about 150, 200 miles north of where I'm at. So uh, there's there's a lot of West Coast, Northwest Coast love for footy in the United States, and, and Tim's yeah. got a big chunk of that. Yeah, yeah I can see that. The see numbers
0: that I,
2: up here crazy. That, yeah, I can see that. I, I live in Buffalo, New York, and I, I I envy you guys in some aspects, having the, having the teams there. I can get to Six MLS teams, MLS games, if with a with a nice car, if I could try. I mean, Columbus is not too far from me. Philly is not too bad. I've been to Bo- I have been to Boston for a game because I, I I have a deep seated hatred of anything that is in Foxborough Stadium, and I would lo- I would love to see um, that that palace that people call Red Bull Arena one of these days. So. But, but I you have guys seen it. Like this. i mean, actually. You have?
0: Yeah, I went to um, I went to see the friendly against Arsenal this right. summer. So of it was course, lovely. I, great stadium. It's a great yeah. stadium. I appreciate any MLS stadium where they are. I believe it's a grass pitch. So any any MLS stadium that has a grass pitch, I appreciate.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I know, that's I know anything I thought, besides Seattle or Portland, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. See well yeah, or yeah. I don't want to launch I don't want to I don't want to ma- into a thing about Seattle and uh and the and the the pitch up here. <clears throat> we'll we'll talk about that some other time.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Oh and I didn't mention uh it's at seven AM kickoff on uh Twitter.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Now are your games at seven AM out there or are they like four thirty in the morning?
0: Sometimes it can be four thirty in the morning. It depends on if it's a if it's a noon kickoff. So basically the way that started is the traditional kickoff time is 3 p.m. And the, for the English Premier League. Um, I've always been an early riser, so I just kind of latched on to watching these Premier League games through Fox Sports World. Uh, I think it was called Fox Sports World back then, Fox Soccer Channel now. And um, yeah. and so, yeah, I would get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and that's how that that's how that started. But, yeah, there are some games at 4.30. Today's game was a noon game, I think, 11.45 kickoff. So those are the ones I have to either take time off from work or <clears throat> barricade myself in my office to, to yeah. watch. <clears throat> so Yeah,
1: that was Champions League today, right?
0: Yeah, against Galatasaray.
1: Yeah, they won that 4-1, I think.
0: <laughs> they did?
1: No. Yeah. Did they?
2: Yeah, 4-1.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah, you Goal know that,
0: that, that... and. Uh, to you know, Aaron
1: that, Ramsey, that that, that that's kind of interesting for me, Tim. In that, you know, I've I, and and I'm not real familiar on every team that the Arsenal's played this year, but in looking at the Champions League versus uh, the EPL, it would appear to me that and and I like Arsene Wenger. Uh, I love him. Actually, I think he's probably the epitome of what a head coach ought to be at least in my view. But I think he, he's rightly so probably stressing the, the UEFA Champions League slightly more than the EPL. Um, and y- y- you probably know that better than me. What are your thoughts?
0: Um, you mean in terms of squad construction? or Yeah.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. squad construction. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's difficult to tell. I, I think right now we're in a rebuilding sort of rebuilding phase in the last couple of years um from having some problems up front in terms of after leaving after sesk leaving we lost a lot of our creativity in the midfield and then after Robin Van Percy left we um lost a lot of our finishing up front. And so with those two departures, Wenger went kind of back to basics almost and um and went out and has been trying to reconstruct the squad and trying to get some, some creativity with Ozil and then some finishing with Sanchez. And he's got those two pieces. Keeping them all healthy at the same time is the problem now. But um, but that is, that is pretty clearly the plan built around a British core of young players who will remain loyal to the club. That seems to be the plan. Um, I don't know if he's intentionally trying to craft a Champions League team, but I do know that that is it's the one trophy that eludes him. I know it's the it, he he cre- he considers it the pinnacle of of um football as I think most people do. Yeah. And um and so it, it it is a different beast to play against, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern Munich than it is to play against Stoke and um Stoke. <laughs> oh, yeah. I shouldn't have mentioned it Stoke. I, don't <laughs> talk about Stoke Tim. Don't talk about Stoke. Uh, yeah, Stoke and Did, Burnley. Didn't they and, just beat
1: somebody a couple weeks ago? Who, Stoke? Yeah. Or didn't Burnley? Beat... No, I think Stoke won 3-2, didn't
0: they? Yeah, Stoke Stoke beat Arsenal last weekend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, think... that, that always makes I don't know, fun. I saw a YouTube video. <laughs> and Peter Crouch should still one of those strikers.
2: <laughs> but what is funny about don't? you guys don't know this. Um, my, my sister is married to uh, a family from Stoke. And the only and the only team they watch because they my I call him my father in law but he, I'm not related to him. Um, Philip has been going went well. He stopped going to games in the '70s because he moved over here. But uh-huh. that's the only thing he watches is Stokes. So my, my teams well, Stoke's better than Liverpool right now, and that 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 just makes me huh. so angry. Are but you a Liverpool supporter? Mad. Yeah, your, your it's, funny.
1: You know, the the uh, last well, time I it, had the opportunity to go to Liverpool was to visit the hubcaps that got stolen from my car. You know,
2: <laughs> <laughs> see, this Liverpool is. Why is
1: yeah, Rodgers, I think probably got real, real lucky with Suarez last year, and they went out and bought Balotelli, and and boy, that that just hasn't paid off at all. At you know, I to, I
0: have, it's a strange one. That that, that one is strange. I, I can see the drop off in production from losing Suarez because I've I run a bunch of numbers on Suarez, and I'm, I'm not Suarez's biggest fan, both personal and also just in terms of the way you have to construct the team around him. He has to be the focal point of everything, and he gets you know all the touches and everything. And I'm more, I guess I've been raised on Arsene Wenger and this more communitarian style of football, but um. But bringing bringing in Balotelli seemed almost like it was going to be a masterstroke, but it turned out to be a completely wrong masterstroke. It it basically kind of undermined the whole entire team. What do you what do you think? You're the Liverpool fan. You see him. You get to see this all the time. I'm curious actually, what you think about Balotelli and and I've heard that that um, Brendan Rodgers might even be under pressure. He might even lose his job. Because of that, well, considering the well, considering the fact that how they fired Kenny
2: Daglish, who was my favorite player and manager of all time, is freaking criminal. They fly into the states to watch a Boston game, and then they fire him mid mid game was wrong. Um, Balotelli has always been worthless. I I have a I have a really well nurtured, deep seated hatred of the Italian Italian game. Big time. Um, I think they put too much into. I, thought, I think they put too much into uh, having Suarez there, and they they choked. I, I, they have this transfer committee that makes all the decisions for the team, and it's not really in Brandon's hands what he can what he can get because he probably would have because he was given a lot of money this year to get him, he could have gone out and got a Cavani or whoever big striker up top there was out there. But I'm sure the the idiots at um at FSG decided that they wanted they wanted numbers over actual talent. This and you guys have mm-hmm. probably seen this far more than I have, is that when big players leave teams this is what happens, and I just don't think these. I I just don't think these players have any faith in themselves anymore. It just it just seems that Steven Gerrard has mailed it in. He just that he has psychologically been screwed up since the slip in Chelsea, and Mignolet just doesn't have it anymore. And it's weird. I mean, I want the best for Brendan Rodgers because he seems like a decent enough guy now. He's a little too cocky. He has a picture of himself in in his entryway in his house. Now, I mean, I don't have any pictures of myself anywhere, but that's uh, it's just a challenge. But it was going to be a challenge anyway, because there is a gulf between the top and the mid-range. I mean, if you think about it, Chelsea and Manchester City can spend as much money as they possibly can, and they can basically buy the league. Liverpool and FSG is not they're not poor. They're not they're not they're not me. But they can't go out and well, okay, well we need Ses Fabregas, we need Diego Costa, we need another this and this and this, and we can just throw any money at them. They don't have oil money behind them. I wish they did. Um, it's like they don't want it's like they don't want to have squad depth. Fabio Brini barely gets off the bench. Lambert is the only other striker there. You don't bring any of the youth kids. I mean, you see what Arsene Wenger did. He brought youth with him. Now, that that was a good move. I mean, he brought some youth with him. There are some strikers with Liverpool in the youth system that are going to be good. Too bad by the time they get really good, they're going to be playing at Real Madrid. But that's just what it is.
1: You know, I'll, I'll kind of throw in my, my nickel on this one, Tim, with regards to Balotelli. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen him play, and I've seen Suarez play. Admittedly, I've not seen him as much as I've seen a lot of the MLS soccer late. But, you know, when, when I look at this style of play, here here's kind of what I think about Suarez. Uh, he loves the ball on the, on the ground, but he can take the ball, you know, at the, at the middle of his chest as well. Um and and he can do amazing things with it. And, and I don't see Balotelli having the same, um, I don't know if dynamic is the right word, flexible capability, and that's probably a, a $2 word or $2 phrase, on um, being able to control the ball on the ground or with his chest as good as Suarez. And because of that, I think he, he doesn't play to his maximum capability with the Liverpool squad. I think Balotelli would perform better with a Stoke or, uh, you know, some other mid-table side that's that's in the English Premier League. Um, I, I just don't see him being, you know, the epitome of a lead striker for a lead team in the Premier League. Um, you know, that that's kind of how I see it. I don't know. You know, I'm sure my, my, others have opinions.
0: I've looked at... Looking at, now, so we've had this chat, Chris, about individual player stats and how much faith we have in them. Mm. And I, I used to have faith in individual player stats, and I've lost that. And I've lost that over a lot of different players, having seen them come in. A lot of the Tottenham players came in, and they had, they had fantastic individual player stats. And they look like the exact kind of players that all teams should covet. And they come in, and they have a, they, they struggle and the more the more I talk to you about it, the more I sort of it crystallized this that idea that you that you that you gave me that that the team really has it's really the team that's generating those stats for these players. And so you see a guy like Balotelli, and like I think what you're trying to, what you're saying is that the team just doesn't construct it very well around him. But there's also a personality of each of the players, and I think with Balotelli the problem is is that statistically you can see he takes too many shots from outside. He's not going to score a bunch of shots from outside, and that comes because he doesn't try to get behind the defense. He tries to drop, like, almost like he's trying to play a number 10 role or something. So he'd yeah. drop behind and pick the ball up, and then, you know, he's given space, and so he's going to take a shot. Or he he can even create his own space. He's one of those few players who can create space and and and, and take a shot. So, my thing with him was, if you get him on a team like, like I think you're saying, like, get him where the team's entire focus is trying to get shots in the box. Yeah. I think you you would see a much different player with Balotelli. I, Arsenal, I, I thought he would be excellent at Arsenal because Arsenal's typically not, Arsenal players typically don't, aren't allowed to shoot from outside, although this year that they're bucking that trend. Um and so I had to go back again and say maybe I was wrong about Balotelli because I I don't know how he would fit in at Arsenal, but I, I, that's the that's my point is trying to get him closer to goal. And I think once that starts to happen, he'll see the benefit of that, and the goals will just start to come in. But I don't know at this point if he can if he can find a way to do that in his career. Like get himself, you know, it's almost like he has to retool himself. He's been doing this one thing for so long, and he just doesn't have anybody there teaching him to get into those spaces to try to stop being so impatient with the ball and you know try to get better shots for the team. So I that's that was my take on on Balotelli. I I, I this summer I actually thought he would be a good acquisition for Arsenal and I was I think I was probably wrong about that. <laughs> I would have
2: taken Sanchez, I would have taken Sanchez in a heartbeat.
0: Well, once I saw Sanchez play in the World Cup, I was sold.
2: There <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, I would yeah,
1: try he's, you, I mean, you just, he's got guys. that that no, okay. well, that stature about just, him. I
2: was sold on him for a while. Yeah, I mean, like you were with Chris. I it, it just it just seems like that was the type of player that he's got, that uh, Arson's going for.
1: You, you know, the other thing about Arson, and and you know, I don't have any quotes on this, and and I don't have any. Validation from Ben Napper, who's the uh, chief stats guy for for Arsenal on this, but you know I, I don't think Arsene is the type of guy that wants to take on a pet project, and I think Balotelli, with his attitude at times, is like a pet project. You know, I mean he he's, he shows unusual levels of passion on the pitch at times that you know kind of remind me you know he 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 might have fit better into the seventies style of, of football than than the two thousand tens, but um I, I I don't know, I mean I always thought he had he had baggage that went with him, especially yeah. when he played in Serie A. So um and I can see where Arsene Wenger would be a bit more patient and he's gonna wait to get that, that right chemical balance that you need from from a center forward who's got that ego but who also understands that there's vision and there's second or third touch that can involve bringing somebody else into the play and I just I just don't see that from Balotelli enough so um I I like the fact that Sanchez is playing for Wenger and and you know like we kind of joked about some some tweets there with respect to you know who might replace Wenger and you know I, you know be careful what you you ask for, you know, um, I mean, Tim, you're, 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 you're a gunner through and through, so, you know, give us, give us the pluses and the minuses of Wenger.
0: Well, the pluses are very obvious. I mean, 16 years of Champions League qualification is a plus. <laughs> That's a plus in anybody's book. I mean, if you consider where Arsenal was, and I, I'm also, I also read the history of Arsenal, and so if you consider where Arsenal was when Arsene Wenger showed up, um they were a good team, big team in a big city who were in and out of European cups and now are in Europe every single season. So that's a huge plus. Um it means, you know, more money, more prestige, better players are going to come to the team. It's a huge plus. Uh the other thing is I think that Arsene Wenger um has this an almost a magical ability to get player to get the best out of players so if you think think about some of the teams that he's had he almost won the league in 07 with a midfield consisting of danielson now danielson's a good player he's a t- he's a tidy player he's a good passer of the ball but um he's not a high he's not a world-class player what whatever we want to call that he's not at that top tier midfielder and all the other parts of that team as well, like Senderos, who you know was was the center half that that year, and Atabayor And if you look at these players' careers, you can see that after they leave Arsenal, their careers all dropped, with the exception of Seth um Yeah. Uh. So so he he has that ability to get that um, like almost a magical ability to get the best out of these players who aren't top quality. Yeah, that, and the one. The minuses. if you unless you want to go ahead, I'll, I'll talk about the minuses in a second.
1: Well, I was just. I mean, you know, the the thing that that I recall is the filter of living in the UK in the nineties, and you know, I recall Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, Burkamp, Bold, Dixon, uh, God, who's the ugly guy? Martin Keown.
0: Keown. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: I love Martin Keown. Please let's not let's let's not have yeah. me. Say but, he's
1: the ugly guy. <laughs> <laughs> He'd make a freight train take a dirt road. <laughs> but you know they didn't. They didn't have. You know, like you say in the midfield. You know, Vieira controlled the game, and you know, I I still can't recall. Did they have Overmars at that time? They might have done. Yeah,
0: it. in the early but, in the early part. Yeah, the first. The yeah, first but. Double
1: but there's not the players that stand out to me. So so any you know like you say that you know they he gets by and I think he gets by because of team control not individual control. But right. um but, but yeah, I so I'm with you on the strength side of it.
0: The the negative side is what I think is driving fans crazy now and that is that if you go back and look through the history Arsen Wenger has his, the amount that he has changed over 18 years is shockingly small. <laughs> um, he his philosophy is going to be the same. His approach towards the team building is going to be the same. He doesn't spend money. Doesn't matter whether he has the money or not. He's not going to spend it if he has a choice between getting a player from the academy or or, or getting a player from AC Milan he's probably going to choose the local academy player. Um, not now that's changing. That one thing is changing in the last few years. He is buying players. Now he spent a hundred and almost a hundred million pounds in the last three years, which is outrageous for Arsenal. <laughs> and, um, but, but the, the tact tactically, it can be difficult. It, it, it can be difficult to watch Arsenal play nowadays because teams understand that if you sit back, if you're organized, which, as you point out, Chris, is very difficult to do. It's not an easy task to sit back and be organized and defend deep in the low block. It's not easy.
2: Mm-hmm. But if
0: teams do that, then Arsenal's style will push up the pitch too high and create spaces in the final third for the opposition to run into. And they do this often. And and and, and also the um there's also a problem from set pieces as well and and crosses that Arsenal are vulnerable to these because their fullbacks are up the crosses get the, you know the opposition get a lot of good crosses in because there's a, you know a center half defending a cross this is not what you want to have happen yeah. and so you you you're you're getting a lot of um good balls into dangerous positions from the opposition and they're scoring with their first shot and the second shot and then Arsenal are chasing games and once Arsenal are chasing a game then all of those things that I, the flaws that i pointed out before all come out even stronger so so for arson that it it's difficult to to divorce those two things but the problem is is that is that since he hasn't changed much um teams are figuring it out at a much more alarming rate than before and so we're seeing a pretty precipitous drop off in team production and and that is causing um, a lot of fan consternation. <laughs> uh, to put it lightly, there's yeah, there's a lot of there are a lot of problems there with uh, the fans are yelling at him and calling him names and stuff like that. So yeah, and you um, wrote you wrote something up today
2: about that. Yeah, that that article I I wanted to leave through your website before I had you on so I, I knew what your writing was about. The the writer the writer said that the only way to get Arsene Wagner out Arson Wagner out is to abuse him. I just find that wrong. I
1: should. That, it, that's the, the only way, way to get Ars-
2: football. Yeah, the only way to get Arso Engner out of there is to win win a title? Uh, should you not wow. abuse your managers? I mean, I, I can understand that's how. I mean, and it's not only in England. It's, it's here in America. Is that that's what that's what keyboard warriors do? That's what people do. When you write, I mean, I'm sure us three are all writers. I mean, you know not to read the comments because they're just some of the most vile things you'll read out there. But, I mean, I'm not an Arsenal fan. I don't hate you guys. It's just I haven't thought too much about. I I want to see, Arsenal I want to see be that manager that rides out with a title or a Champions League. Because I have a feeling he's not too much longer for the sport that he's his dawn is coming, and that he he will he will sit, he will walk away on his own. It'll be okay, and it, surprise! I have a feeling it's going to be a surprise. It'll be one of these one of these days he'll go. Yeah, I'm done. I'm out of here.
1: Yeah, you know, gosh, in having you know, I mean I remember turnip head <laughs> Graham Taylor, by the way, uh, when when he was the head coach of England and, you know, he was out Graham Taylor and you know, earlier this season Alan Pardew was on the chopping block with with the supporters from Newcastle and you know, I I mean rightly so, the the supporters are gonna focus on the results. But you know, with a guy like Wenger you know, there, there's more than just results. And I think, you're Tim, when you talk about his body of work, I mean, think think about how much the Premier League has transitioned since uh, Arsene Wenger's been a head coach. And, and I think, actually, he came on board. He replaced, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, George. Oh, I can't remember his last name. But but this was what back when Blackburn won the uh, the Premier League, you know, a non-provincial club, and you know, money started to come in because of owners like uh, the the guy from Blackburn, uh, and and the the game itself was transformed, but yet Arsenal's still there, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, think about that a minute. Okay, so, so Chelsea, there's no question when when they play, the the pedigree of the team is more often not than not, they're going to be a possession-based team who's going to control the game with short passing, et cetera, et cetera. Man City with Pellegrino uh, Pellegrini has kind of adopted the same process. You've got FC Bayern Munich that do, that's doing the same thing as Barcelona. and And then there's the transition when you look at a team like West Ham this year where Allardyce is playing just completely the opposite, but he still is getting control in the right places. And 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 Arsenal is in between Chelsea and West Ham. They'll, they'll dominate possession at times when they're playing a Burnley or they're playing a Villa or a Crystal Palace. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, they'll see possession too. So there's in as much as everybody say Arsène Wenger plays the same way he doesn't play the same way tactically when he's going up against these different teams and like you you mentioned earlier about Stoke City you know they Stoke beat him 3-2 and how did they beat him 3-2 they beat him 3-2 because they did better on those quick counterattacks where Arsenal got out of position um and you know maybe that's the fault of the fullbacks moving up too uh, too frequently, you know, too fast, too furious. Um I mean when when you watch him Tim, do do the fullbacks both press forward at the same time to get into the attack or does does he swing right and then he swings left? How how does that usually go when they've got possession?
2: Tim Oh, he's dropped. Oh. Wait, just a sec. I got him. Hey, Tim, are you back?
0: Yep. Hey, Tim.
2: (laughs) Hey, uh, yeah, I got
0: um, My phone, I I heard the questions, though. I I was on. I just wasn't able to talk. Um, You asked about the fullback. Oh, I know. Yeah. You asked about the fullback. So I know the answer to that is it depends. If they're chasing the game, both fullbacks will go forward. I okay. have seen that more often than I care to remember. Um, usually, he does try to play, you know, one up and then one back. But there are times when both fullbacks are going forward. Yes, and it okay. it, it happens more often than it should because we're chasing games, especially this season. We're chasing games, but I, but I've seen it throughout his career. He's done it. It, it. He gives the players license to do to to sort of feel the game out and um and that sometimes results in lack of discipline in terms of in lack lack of positional discipline
1: okay so to to me that speaks to the assistant coaches and it speaks to our scene actually if if it's a lack of discipline i mean you know it's like when you watch i mean i, I guess i can probably recall portland timbers Better than any other team because I watch them so often. But you know, early in the season, both fullbacks are pressing forward, and then as the season progressed, they dropped a little bit deeper, and the fullbacks were a little bit more patient or controlled, I would say, based upon what what Porter was offering up. So, um, but yeah, did love for example, did did Arsenal go down one nil to Stoke? I don't I don't recall the the, score the first second of that game.
0: It was the first oh. second of the game. They scored off of um, a cross. I think it was either a cross. I think it was a cross. They scored off a cross in the first minute of the game.
1: Yeah, so, so to me, you know, I, I'd kind of find that hard to believe that, that Wenger would would change his tactics that much. It's like, you know, remember watching Alex Ferguson with Man United? I mean, even in the 70th minute, if that team was down 1-0, he didn't change tactics a whole lot. It's only when that you know the game reached the 80th minute, where he might have made a a sub to to bring in a, a tall you know striker center forward and play a little bit more direct. But um, I don't know. Maybe I just don't watch enough English Premier League to.
0: Yeah, I think you would be a little surprised, Chris, if you watched Arsenal. Um, the the weakness, like I said, the weaknesses are are now exposed routinely by opposition by opposition managers. And this season alone, I was going to pull up. So I have my custom database of of stats, just just give me a second, I'll try to babble on and find it, Um, where where I track the types of goals that are being scored against us and for us. And this season we have conceded um, off of crosses, so in all competitions, it just happens all the time. But the last, against Stoke, they were all three crosses. I know, one was a corner, and two, the other two were crosses. And then the then the game before the this goal before that was also a cross against Man U. Um, and so you go back to Swansea, there was a cross and a header, and Anderlecht scored two goals off of crosses. So you go back through the goals conceded, and Arsenal did, these crosses are coming in, and they're they're scoring off the very first one. So there's a combination of two things there that's that's happening. One, I think we're feeling the after-effects of World Cup with Per Mertesacker, who played a, an absolute ton of games. And so yeah. these balls that are getting lobbed into him, he's not dealing with very well. Uh, we're also k- missing Koscielny. He's not a great header of the ball, but when he is great covering when when um, Gibbs goes forward. So when Gibbs goes forward, he covers the cross, and then that, that ends up usually being the way that we're um, – Able to control games, but without his speed and his awareness and his ability to recover, Arsenal are suffering quite a bit. And that doesn't—that's not a cut on Monreal. That's just Nacho Monreal is just not the same kind of level that that um, Laurent Koscielny's at. So that's why this is this is the reason why we're suffering. We're we're conceding goals off of crosses. We're we're you know su- suffering from this this width, the, the wide play. So
1: <clears throat> yeah, oh, if oh, you
0: oh. watch a couple games, you'd be su- surprised, I think, Chris.
1: Okay, so so let me let me because I I don't know if they play a a two pivot or one. You know what I mean by double or single pivot, right? oh uh, yeah. Okay, so um, do they play a double or single pivot? Because <laughs> here's why I ask. Because yeah. Because the what what I've seen at, at least in MLS because I watch it as much as I do now, is that when I when I see the double pivot. I, I see a reduction in crosses that the opponent's allowed to offer up. And the reason why is because it's the fullback, it's the central defending midfielder on the left side or the right side, whichever you want right. to call it, plus potentially the forward, you know, dropping back where where you're not getting that three-on-two or that two-on-one. Because to me, it, it's like the, the greatest example I can come up with is, you remember the World Cup when, uh, whatchamacallit, Ronaldo put in that cross. Or not Ronaldo. Who's the guy that's for Portugal? Is that Ronaldo?
0: Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You you recall that he put in that cross, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But what happened two minutes before, or a minute and a half, before Ronaldo put in that cross that Portugal got the equalizer on? What did Klinsman do two minutes before that?
0: Oh, he he held off a midfielder.
1: He pulled Did off Juci.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and he put in Gonzalez. So he had three center backs and he had an open space in right. exactly the same area where Ronaldo's put in that cross. And to yeah. me that kind of speaks to you got your full back, you got one of your CDM's or if you just got your single pivot CDM and the midfielder which if you're playing a single pivot, then your midfielder ought to be back. You you don't get those two on ones. And to me, that that that's where you cut off the pipeline for the crosses. It it's like you say, it's the fullback that yeah. that's gonna negate that. So so how's how's Wenger dealing with that? Is he playing double or single pivot?
0: We're playing a single pivot.
1: Okay, and so it's,
0: and it's Flamini. He's not he's not the most mobile um defensive midfielder either.
1: So and if so it's not
0: t- Flamini then it's then it's Arteta and Arteta's over thirty. And Arteta's a great footballer. I love Arteta, but just putting him in that position this is so it's disheartening.
1: <laughs> so you don't have anybody that took on the role of Patrick Vieira who was kind of the killer in no. the back. uh uh-uh. oh Yeah. Gee, so, you know, maybe maybe that's what Arsene does here in in the next transfer period. Is there anybody he's been
0: trying He's been trying to buy a central defensive midfielder. Yes. He has he has bid on several of them. Gustavo plays in um, for Wolfsburg. Uh, we tried to get Gustavo, um, Lars Bender. Um, I, I believe he's tried to bid on Schneiderlin. Oh. <clears throat> so there's a lot of these young, these young defensive midfielders he's trying to get them in. He's trying to get okay. at least one in. But the, the, but you know this is another thing Arsenal fans argue about. They they kind of tend to want to have a Wamiyama kind of player and there's nothing wrong with Juan yama except for he doesn't really fit the Arsenal mold the player that Arsene Wenger needs is somebody more like Arteta but younger and more mobile somebody who can pass the ball with an enormous range and who um but who also is able to cover for the for the fullbacks when they go forward
1: yeah i mean i mean that that was the one thing about Vieira you know they talk about changing uh changing direction when you're near the attacking third you know where the ball goes into the box and it comes back out and from the right and it goes over to the left like a guy like Jermaine Jones does for for the Revolution when he would push forward, and you know I I think that's what Vieira did so extremely well for the Arsenal was is not not in the attacking final third but if you if you dropped back ten and fifteen yards it was that midfield change of direction where he could play that longer ball. You know, down deep into the corner for the penetration. Yeah. Um, wow. Well.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard being an Arsenal fan right now. <laughs> yeah.
2: They're, so they're, um,
0: they're not. They're not playing very well. Well,
2: they—they they they got playing a lot better than Liverpool. They got <laughs> playing a lot better than Liverpool is. I'll, yeah, I saw you guys on your blog. You, you wrote about uh, Amy Lawrence's book. How is that book? Well,
0: how, Amy Lawrence.
2: Yeah, that I, Amy didn't Lawrence read, I didn't I actually
0: didn't people. read the. That was that was my. Um, I have another guy who writes for me. Uh, his name is Les, and Les is a, he's a librarian if by trade, and a book fanatic by birth. And he reads everything about Arsenal. He does those book reviews for me, and he did a fan, he did a good write up of the Invincibles book by Amy Lawrence. I actually know a lot about that era because I also work in a library, and I um, I go back through the the historical clippings, and it just so happens that our database that connects to the Guardian, which is where Amy Lawrence wrote at the time. I think she actually still does. That that cuts off at two thousand three, so I end up every time I every time I search for something on Venger. I get an article from 2003 as the first hit from Amy Lawrence, so I actually kind of know quite a bit about that era um, uh, firsthand. But yeah, the book was um, the I think I think um, Les liked the book quite a bit, with the one exception, which was that Amy didn't really take Wenger to task for some of the some of the mistakes that he made in 2003 in terms of squad depth and squad rotation, which is something else that you hear a lot of fans complaining about right now he he's he's the same guy he just hasn't he hasn't changed and why would he he's been very successful so um so yeah that's that's the, his take on the book was that was that he was a little upset with her for not um for not uh taking taking Venger to task on those on those two topics
2: do we underrate do we underrate Arsene Wenger as far as like brain wise? I mean, cuz we we when we think about the great managers in the last 20 30 years. He's up there obviously. I mean, we we have the we we have the towering spirit of Mr. Ferguson over there. But right. I mean, do we underrate him? Do we underrate his because he's he's an honest He's really unassuming. You don't. He doesn't go crazy on the sidelines too much. But he, he just—he's
0: kind of there. If that makes sense. It's one of those things that, like, it's because of the positives. He—he he has been to keep that club Arsenal in the top four consistently for 16 years, ten of which were done under what I would consider extreme financial duress. The, the ability to do that should not be over should not be underrated. But but it's kind of like um, the devil that you know. You know you get used to him, and and after 18 years of the same guy and the same kind of tactics with the same faults and the same flaws, people get used to him, and so he's not as fun for the writers to, for the reporters to write about. Uh, he's not unless he does something really radical, like completely changes his entire philosophy he's not going to be, he's not, he's not, you know, a shiny new toy. And there's, there's, so I wouldn't say underrate. I would say what people do is sort of just take him, take him for granted that he's just going to be this way.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I agree with you there, Tim. And, and, and just to kind of pile on some thoughts here, you know, sometimes people kind of forget that Arsene Wenger was an economist before he was a head coach. Yeah. So, you know and you know i talked to ben nappert at at length about this about the statistics with respect to arsenal and you know they're they're like any good organization they recognize that statistics have value but at the end of the day they're a tool in management decision making but you know with with respect to to soccer and you know he's been around a long time he's got a lot of information Locked up in his head about trends and tendencies, not only of of soccer players but soccer coaches. I mean, you know that that's the one thing that I've kind of picked out in the last two years of doing this possession with purpose analysis is that the the, the greater value that I've I've pulled from this is I can is I can begin to identify trends and tendencies of coaches, which you know if you study Sun Tzu. You know, know your enemy better than yourself. Um, and with with eighteen years or or sixteen years of that historical information, there's there's just so much locked up in that guy's head that, you know, I don't I don't think there's anybody that's that's gonna go in and head coach the Arsenal like Arsene Wenger could for the next five years, regardless of how staid or boring he is. I just you know. I, I think you know the the Brits ought to get in the bus and they ought to be singing "Always look on the bright side of life" and be happy with what they got.
0: I I agree with you. I I think it's going to be very difficult to bring him in. And in fact, when I read um, the article, that I don't I don't know who's the host, the Liverpool host that we're talking <laughs> that I'm talking to. What's your name? Stephen. Stephen. Sorry, Stephen. When I read Stephen's article, my article was going to end with maybe Arsene Wenger is the best coach, you know, yeah. to replace Arsene Wenger in in that, in that sense that this is something I've been calling for for three or four years now, that, that Wenger kind of maybe needs to retool a little bit, like change some of his ideas and, and, and change. I know it's difficult, but there's some certain types of certain behaviors that are, are happening over and over again and they drive people crazy, but he is still a fantastic manager and if he were able to change some of those behaviors I think and change some of those coaching philosophy I think that Arsenal would be much stronger for it like you said his institutional memory his you know football knowledge he he has knowledge of games of players of coaches of of pitches I mean he pro- he knows so much more about football he knows more about football than I've ever even conceived of of knowing and so if he could just get over some of these things the, the the sort of indiscipline of his team sometimes and those kinds of things, I think that he could be, again, be the, one of the greatest managers. I mean, we were top of the league last year for the majority of the year and then fell away when we hit those away bumps against the top clubs. If a few balls had gone differently, we could have won the league last year. So yeah. I think it's perfectly reasonable for Arsene Wenger to think, well, I'm on the right path. And why would I change? You know, so, so at the same time, when I say he should change, I can also see the opposite side of that. His point of view is we were top of the league for, you know, 200 and some days last year. And uh, why would I change? Why why would I change that? And we won the FA Cup. Tell me what it is that I need to change. You know, I mean, and and who am I to tell him what to change? I'm just some guy from Tacoma. You know, I, it's it's – I don't know. I don't, I'm not even a professional coach. You are, but I'm not. And so and so it's it's really Yeah, so I can say I can say all these things and, and pretend that I know what I'm talking about, but the reality is is that it's we are you're right. Arsene Wenger is he's a genius.
1: <laughs> he 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 is. I you know, I I mean, you know, that's maybe that's that's my filters, but um you know, it it's it's interesting I, I didn't read. I didn't do a lot of reading of, with respect to Alex Ferguson, but you know he he said he said something about probably six or seven years ago that that the press, the media, just loved, and 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 it had nothing to do with statistics at all. But he quoted it as being the best statistic, and you know he he said the team that wins the most individual duels wins games and you know he people took that to be the gospel and statistically that can't be any further from the truth that that's complete bollocks there is in in any league that i've looked at there is no relationship in winning duels versus winning games and you know, Wenger's not the type of person that's going to offer the soundbite, and and I think that's what frustrates the media more than anything else. I, you know, I mean, he's pretty staid. He, I mean, you, you watch the after the match, and um, <laughs> it's like I can't wait for Owen Coyle to to do an after match report for for Houston. It's going to be the typical stuff that he talked when he coached at Burnley. Um,
0: 18- plus.